I'm Carter McInnes, and I'm talking about free will versus predestination today because I decided at the start of this series I would make everyone confused or mad right at the beginning. <laughs> Seriously, some people would go like, why in the world would you talk about that? And the answer is, well, because you asked. You asked this question in, in many different forms that we all think about sometimes. Does God decide everything? Or do we have a choice? Does God decide everything? I mean everything. Or do we have a choice or somewhere in between? It's, it's a really, really important concept. And the more, I've been look, the more I began looking and thinking about all the questions that you ask, the more I began to see how deeply ingrained this issue is in almost every other question. We're going to tackle some tough questions in this series. If you're new to Mountaintop, uh, I thank you so much for being here. I'm the pastor here. It's so honored that you're watching or here. Maybe if you're here for the first time. And this series actually began about two months ago, even though today's the first day, because we ask anyone and everyone inside and outside our church family to submit questions that they thought were all the questions that they had about God, church, and family. You know, those kind of questions that you would say, asking for a friend, because you really want the answer to them, but you don't want anybody to know you asked those. And we got a lot of great questions, so we're going to tackle those. But this issue of predestination and free will it is baked in to almost every one of those. People often think that this is an issue that is only debated in seminary or by theologians or by pastors. But I believe that it is so important that you have a biblical framework for how you understand this issue. Or I think that you and I will stub our toe on all the other issues. So it's going to be a little... Um, thick and deep stuff as we talk about this today, but I don't think we can talk about all the other questions until we talk about this one first. And let me explain why. Let me tell you about what we're going to be doing in the weeks ahead and why understanding how this issue works in the midst of all of them. Next week, we're going to talk about this question, why do bad things happen to good people? That was a question many of you had, right? And this, can I just say this? Next week, because of this, this is an outstanding opportunity to invite your friends to church at Mountaintop for a couple of reasons. One, this is a question almost everyone has. This is a question that a lot of people, it's the reason that they don't come to faith or the reason that they're like, I'm not sure about God because I can't reconcile in my mind why bad things happen to good people. Why is there suffering in the world? So a great question that we're going to address next week, but also next week, it's going to be just a great opportunity to invite friends because we're going to have a fall fun day. And I don't know if you know this, but Halloween's on Sunday. And so we're going to have uh, food trucks, we're going to have face painting, a petting zoo. We're inviting our, our kids and kids ministry to wear their costumes. If you want to wear a costume, go for it. I mean, I figure you're smart enough to figure out which costumes you should and shouldn't wear to church. So, but go for it. It's just going to be a good day. It's going to be a great day But to invite friends to church because in this issue, why do bad things happen to good people? See, we're asking like, if God is orchestrating everything, right, see how this is baked into it, then he must be a pretty mean God to give people cancer. Why do bad things happen to good people? Or on the flip side, if he's just watching us down here and he's not interjecting himself and he's seeing all that we're going through, then, I mean, why, well, I mean what's he even doing this for? Is he even God 
in the first place. A couple of weeks, we're going to talk about can I trust the Bible? A lot of questions about the Bible, the uh, authority of the Bible, and a lot of questions about doubt. And I think those go hand in hand, right? Because the reason we have doubts is because we're unsure if we can trust the Bible. And there's some questions in there, too, about understanding, like, how would I, why would I doubt God if he's really sovereign? Shouldn't I be sure? Or if he is in control, if God is not in control and everything, then, then I even have more doubts. We're going to talk about how can I be sure of my salvation? We had a ton of questions on heaven and hell, on sin and judgment, on the nature of salvation and baptism, and this issue is baked into those, right? How could a loving God create people to go to hell? Or why would he even give us a choice if he knew some of us were going to choose hell? Why wouldn't a loving God just predetermine everyone to go to heaven? You ever had that question? You see, it's baked in. And the last question we're going to address a part of this series is what does the Bible say about being gay? And this question, this issue, was the number one question. It was the question, it was the issue that we got the most questions about because I believe faithful followers of Jesus and people that are curious about God want to know. They want to know for themselves. They want to know for friends and family members. They want to know how to respond to this issue in our culture. And this issue that we're talking about today is baked into them. Did God make people gay and then condemn their behavior in scripture? If he knows someone is going to be same-sex attracted or gay and then his word speaks against it, why did he create them in the first place? So if we got anybody else that would like to teach these messages in the series, because <laughs> this is some tough stuff, right? This issue is baked into our deepest questions, and it's the most important theologi theological construct for us to understand two ideas, who God is and who we are, right? We're, this is why we're, we're on this issue of a free will versus predestination is who is God? Like, who is God? How is he sovereign? Is he sovereign? And who are? Basically, we're, we're trying to ask ourselves, where do we fit in his kingdom and how does he work in our world? Right? Like, where is that, where is the synthesis of that relationship? And I want you to know what you believe about who God is and why you believe about who you are. Now, I've got some good news, okay? Some good news today. Some good news is the Bible offers some clarity. We're going to look at some scriptures that I think give us some answers. The bad news, the Bible leaves mystery. That's why you got questions about it. And that's why preachers often don't tackle the issue because there is some mystery. We're going to see some scriptures that seem to say some things pretty clear, but we're also just going to have some mystery. The Apostle Paul once said it this way, that we, we look through a, a glass, you know, we only see a reflection. It's dim, dimly lit. It's cloudy. And you know that, that there is just going to be some mystery with God. Come on, if you could figure out everything about God, if God was so small that your rational brain could wrap your head around everything with God, then he wouldn't be God, Right? He, he's got to be big enough where our human brains can't quite wrap our minds around this. So, listen, there's going to be some mystery. And because of this, faithful Christians are going to disagree. 
Now, I, I'm going to share in this series, and we're going to share in this series some biblical truths that, that, that we believe are true, but there are also going to be some gray areas in understanding exactly how it all works. I have a perspective on this issue that I believe is rooted in an accurate interpretation of Scripture, but I have very good friends who love Jesus who see things differently. And my hope is, and, and some of you will have different perspectives. Some of you might disagree with the conclusions that I come to. And what I hope you'll do is go home and search the scriptures for yourselves and see, seek God's heart. But I also hope we'll realize this is not a primary doctrinal belief. We're not talking about the lordship of Jesus or the sufficiency of scriptures. We're not talking about the forgiveness of sins or the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Those are primary doctrinal issues. We're talking about something that's frankly hard to understand and hard to wrap our human brains around and an issue that the scripture seems to come at from all kinds of different angles. So let's keep that in mind. If you disagree today, I hope you will email me. I hope you'll call me um, and let's talk. So a lot of people would ask, well, if it's, not a primarily, if it's not a primary doctrinal issue, why would we even teach about it? Why would you even preach about it? And the reason is, is that I think it is the issue that is at the forefront of many Christians' minds. They've got their doctrine, but they're not sure how this works. And that's evidenced by all the questions that you asked. This was probably the second most asked question. And I think it is a critical issue for many people who are new to faith or who have not yet come to faith. In fact, I believe it is one of the issues why people would say, I'm not sure about Jesus yet, because some of that doesn't make sense. And it's so important for me, this issue is critical to how I understand ministry in the local church. So before we kind of dig into some passages, let me talk about some terminology because I'm not going to use a lot of this terminology today, but when this conversation is going on out in your world, in your life, with your friends, um, I want you to know some of the terminology, okay? So I, I'm phrasing it like this, free will versus predestination. So the idea that we have free will or that things are predetermined. Some people would use the term Arminian versus Reformed. Those are more theological terms. You hear a lot of friends say that, yeah, oh yeah, I'm Reformed. I, I'm not sure that everybody always knows what they mean when they say that. Um, that reform, a lot of times people think Reformed means, uh, means conservative, but it actually means that it is more in the camp of free destination. Arminian, it's like, what in the world does that phrase mean? That is named after a man named, a theologian named Jacob Arminius, who was from the 16th century, who kind of started a movement against the reformed movement uh, that was more based on free will. Later on, the two Johns kind of came to decide this. John Wesley, so those that are in the Arminian or free will camp would, might, might be known as Wesleyan, or those that are in the reformed or predestined camp might be known as Calvinist, named after John Wesley, theologian, preacher, and theologian, preacher, John Calvin. So if you hear those, those, that terminology thrown out, I just want you to know, I'm not going to talk about that. I'll kind of use reformed, but I want you to know, there's a couple other terms that I want you to just be aware of in this conversation. 
and some of you put this in your question, but some people might hear it, is election. What does this mean about election? This is a term that you'll see people, and what people will ask is, what do you believe about election? And what they are asking is, what do you believe about the, uh, the divide between free will and predestination? And another term that, you know, this would be like, a bunch of sermons in itself, but just a term that is called tulip. And you'll hear people, sometimes somebody might ask you like, how many of the five points of the tulip do you believe? And you're like, this ain't got nothing to do with flowers, man. I don't know what you're talking about, right? <laughs> tulip is a, is a term used in kind of Calvinist theology, um, though it's not necessarily that Calvin came up with it. It was sort of more Calvinist theology came up with it and kind of attributed it to his way of thinking. Uh, it's an acronym for kind of five tenets of their, the way they see things. So I just want you to know when you hear those terms, I just want you to be clued in to kind of uh, what they mean. Denominations skew one way or the other on this issue. And we're a non-denominational church and we come from all different backgrounds, which means we probably are a gathering of people with a lot of different ideas about this issue. I think it's important to walk through several passages of scripture because this is one of those topics that you can take one scripture passage and form an entire theology on it. And I think that can be really dangerous because the scripture seems to say kind of, uh, it just comes at this, as I said, from, from different, uh, different angles. What we're really all trying to process when we're thinking about this are two extremes. The first extreme would be God decides everything, right? That would be an extreme that we're trying, the one extreme of this would be, this would be what I call total predestination. God decides everything. God decided what clothes you were gonna wear today. God decides what kind of car you drive. God decided where you're gonna live. God decided how many children you would have. God decided whom you would marry, if you would marry. God decided uh, what job you have. God decided what church you go to. God decides every single thing because God is sovereign. God even decides every single word that I'm saying or not saying. See that awkward pause, God decided that. Right now, now that, that was, I mean, Ultimately, in this realm, all the way far over to this extreme, we're basically robots. We have no choice. We are just all Neos living in God's matrix, right? Like we think we're free, but we're really not. We're robots. Now, I, I think that there are, that there, there are some followers of Jesus that are all the way over there at that extreme, but there's not many. I don't think there are many. Those that would be more reformed, more in, the, more in the Calvinist camp would lean more this way, but I don't think there are many that, all, that are all the way over there that think we're robots, that everything and every detail of our, our lives, because there are some problems when you go too far over here, right? That God pre-decided who would go to heaven and who would go to hell, that God pre-decided who would become terminally ill and who wouldn't. They got pre-decided who would have serious health concerns all the way from birth and those that didn't. That God pre-decided everything. How do we reconcile that 
with a loving God. And if this is true, then why did Jesus tell us to go and make disciples if God already knew who all the disciples were going to be in the first place? We could have slept in this morning because we stayed up late watching the Braves. Right? So there are some problems if you go all the way over here. But this is all about the sovereignty of God. And people in the more of this camp would say, gosh, the further we get away from this, the more concerned I get about losing the sovereignty of God, that he is over and above all things. So that, that's one extreme. The other extreme that we would have is that we decide everything. Right, that we decide everything, that it is total free will total free will, that everything that happens on planet Earth is all because of humans' own free decision, that God does not interject himself in history, that it is just you and me deciding the course of earthly events. So ultimately, this is a completely humanist idea, right? In fact, this is, this is where atheists and agnostics would camp out. Because they would say God is not active. God, they would say God is not real. And if he is, he's not real concerned about earth anyway. That this is completely, uh, that this is completely all about human will. This completely humanist. Now, I don't think there are too many followers of Jesus that are all the way in this camp. I don't think there are too many who would say, oh yeah, I'm all, because, because followers of Jesus would say, well, even if I believe in free will, those would be more Wesleyan or Arminian would say, but I still believe that God is active. I still believe God is working in human history. So I may be closer this way, but I still believe in a sovereign God. But I'm not all the way in here to just say, we determine everything. Of course, I believe that God is active in our hearts. You see, you see these spectrums? One group is worried about if I get farther away from here, I'm losing more and more of free will, right? The other group says, if I get farther away from here, I'm losing God's sovereignty. So I, I wanna tell you something. I 100% believe in the sovereignty of God. And I 100% believe in the free will of humans. How can you believe in both? And trying to figure out where they fit in the spectrum is what we're wrestling with today. Those that would be in more the Calvinist or Reformed camp that would lean that way would camp out in Romans 8 through 11. It would be a linchpin passage for how they formed this theology. Now, Romans is already a, uh, it is already a thick book theologically thick book, and it is, uh, eight, Romans 8 through 11 is the hardest part to chew. Even the apostle Peter wrote of the apostle Paul, he, he wrote that some of what Paul writes is hard to understand, and I'm like, I think he's talking about Romans. It's just hard. I mean, it, I, you know, it's just hard. I've been to theological school, and I read it, and I go, whoo, this is deep, thick stuff. And the, the linchpin passage would be in Romans Chapter 8, verses 29 through 30. So we're going to be bouncing around. If you don't have a Bible, please take one at our, uh, at our bookshelves. Hey, this is awesome. We got a new shipment of Bibles in this week because so many people are taking Bibles. Praise God. We love that you're taking Bibles. And as I said, what I want you is to go home and to dig into this in, on your own. 
So let's look at what Romans 8, 28, uh, 29 through 30 says. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he might, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, there's that word again, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, you can read that and go, well, there it is. Right, like, I mean, th- there it is. That, I mean, that tells the story. I, I mean, that's, there you go. God predestined, God foreknew. But you can't build a whole theology off two verses. You gotta read the whole Bible, and I would just start with reading all of Romans. Romans is about coming to faith and belief in Christ. And in the next chapter, Paul makes it clear. If you read chapter nine, Paul makes it clear that he is saying that it is those in Christ who he has predestined that God has predetermined that those who are in Christ, he will be made into his son's image and likeness. Think of it like this. If you have children and if you are married, did you predetermine before you had kids if you were going to love your children? You already decided you were going to love your children. You predetermined. Emily and I had four kids, a lot of, with four boys. A lot of people think we just kept trying for a girl. I, I can neither confirm nor deny that. We really wanted four from the get-go. But, I mean, we didn't say like, well, three's pretty good. And it's like, you know, we just predetermined we were only going to love three of them. Had this fourth one. Not so sure. Brooks, he's in here. He's our fourth. We love him too. In fact, even if we'd had a fifth, we'd love that one too. You predetermined that you are going to love the children you have. And that's kind of what Paul is saying, that God has preordained, predetermined that those who belong to Christ, that those who are in Christ will be formed into the image and his likeness, and they will be glorified. The whole point of Romans is about coming to faith in Christ uh, through faith, through grace. And in chapter 9, he actually has to make this very interesting argument because what he sees is that he is trying to not prove God's sovereignty, but he has to defend it because people are poking holes in this idea that God controls everything. And why wouldn't God's will already happen? Because people are saying, so wait a minute, I thought everybody says, I thought you said that Israel, the nation of Israel, the Israelite people was chosen or that Israel was elected. If that's true, then why didn't everyone in Israel come to faith in Jesus? If it's true, then why didn't Israel believe him? If it's true, why did they crucify him? If it's true, after he resurrected, why did some believe but some didn't? If they're chosen, if they're elected. See, people are poking holes in that idea. And Paul says, well, you're poking holes in the, that's the wrong idea. Paul says to be elected, Israel was elected to carry a promise. Israel was was elected to be bearers of the good news, to be bearers of the gospel story in Jesus Christ. And his desire was that all Israel would be saved and all would believe, but some didn't. And Paul seems to say, you can be chosen and still have a choice. You can be chosen 
and still have a choice. When God created humanity, he chose to have a relationship with humans. We see it in the story of Adam and Eve, and yet he told them, I've chosen you for this, but you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. And I wouldn't eat from that one over there, but you're free to if you want to. When God's chosen people, when he chose a nation, Israel, to go into the promised land that he chose for them, when they finally got ready to start their new life, Joshua was stood before them and he made that famous speech with that famous verse that you might have in a Hobby Lobby frame in your living room. <laughs> Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, Joshua says, I only get to choose for one family, mine. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But you, you get to choose who you will serve. You're a chosen people, but you have to choose for yourself. You can be chosen and still have a choice. In fact, we just sang it this morning. You are chosen, and you still have a choice. That choice is why God created you, this love relationship that he wants with you. And if we're going to love God, we have to have the choice not to. God wanted a love relationship with us, and if we're going to love God, we have to have the choice not to. It's why Jesus was sent in the first place. When he was born, it said the angels proclaimed, we're going to get ready. Some of you are already putting out Christmas decorations. And when Jesus was born, it said the angels declared, this is good news of great joy for who? All the people, not the elected people, not the chosen people, all people. And the Apostle Paul later affirms this in his first letter to Timothy when he writes this in Timothy. He says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for, come on, help me out, all people. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants, come on, all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Why would God want something to happen that he predetermined couldn't happen? Why would God want us to pray and intercess for people who could never be saved? Peter, the apostle Peter, who knew Jesus as an actual person probably better than anyone besides Jesus' mother, said it this way in 2 Peter 3, 9. When people were like, well, why, isn't, why hasn't he come back for the second coming? We thought it was going to happen in like three weeks after the res resurrection. Why didn't it happen yet? And Peter said, the Lord is not slow. Everybody's like, why is it so slow? Why is it taking so long? Peter said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. It's not the way you think about it. His timing isn't your timing. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting, what does it say? Anyone to perish, but what? Everyone to come to repentance. Why would God exercise patience for something he knows that is never going to happen? 
He wants everyone to come to repentance because he hopes everyone will come to repentance. I think he created everyone hoping that they'd choose heaven. And this is why I fully and wholeheartedly reject the idea that God has predetermined or predestined some people to go to hell and some people to go to heaven because I believe it is unbiblical and against the nature of the triune God who sent his son as a ransom for all people. And I kind of tend to plan to spend the rest of my life going to trying to reach all of Birmingham because he has a heart to reach all people in Birmingham because he gave his son for all people in Birmingham and he wants all of them to be saved and every one of them to come to repentance. So we're going to go all in on reaching all people. All of them, every single one of them. I don't believe a single one is a lost cause. But that doesn't mean like we're all the way over here, right? People are like, oh, man, what does that mean? Does everybody have a choice? Yeah, I believe everybody's got a choice. But I also believe that God is sovereign and that he's acting and that the Holy Spirit is moving in us and shaping us and acting in our life. We believe the Holy Spirit is here right now, that the sovereign God is over us, with us, in us. So how, how, does, how does it work? Let, let me just kind of close it out by saying this that's probably going to leave you unsatisfied, but then try to explain it in one final way. The scriptures affirm, I believe this, and this is the, this is the struggle of it. God is sovereign. I don't think there's any way around it. The scriptures affirm God is sovereign. The scriptures affirm we are free, and you're not going to like this. I don't know how it works. I don't, I, I don't know how it works. The scriptures affirm that God is sovereign, we are free, and I don't know how it works. And here's why I don't quite know and why you don't quite know and why we'll probably never figure it out, but where I think we can land and where I hope you'll see my heart is. The reason that we can't quite figure it out is because what we're talking about is this God who did something. He had a starting point for human history where he said to Adam and Eve, you are free. So right at the beginning of the book, Genesis 2 and 3, you can read the story. You're free. And then there's an end of the story. You can go all the way to Revelation 22, the very end, the very last chapter. And there's this end of this story that says, Jesus says that he is the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning, and guess what? The end. The end. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And what is in between here is this thing that you and I can't quite figure out. You know what that is? Time. And we can't quite figure out how God works in time in this construct that he is all the way backwards from and all the way forwards from. 
because this has a beginning point and this has an end point. So some people believe, okay? Some people believe that God has written one story. That God has written one story. And it's already written. It was written from Adam and Eve until Jesus returns in his final glory. And some people believe this, and they believe that God has already decided what, God is, what is going to happen. They would be all the way in that camp over there, all the way in the Reformed camp. Others would say, well, I think that God has already written the story, all right? But I think we have a choice in here. That he didn't decide it, he didn't choose it, he just knows it. And there's a very thin line between deciding and knowing, but it is a line. And some people would say that there is one way that this is going. We are in God's time, and he's already written the story, and we're just living it. He knows what's going to happen, but it's not going to cause it. And there are people that go off script, right? And they choose to spend eternity not with God. But if you stay on script, there would be others, there would be others who would believe that God started it, and he's written the final chapter. But all this, we're all right in our own. And God is active in it, and he is working in us to get it back to his story, to get it back to where he wants. And some of us don't do it. Some of us continue to go our way, but others of us, he gets back on the path, and he gets back in. The question that we all struggle with, right, is this, when it comes to this time and how God works that is over this. Some people would say, yeah, this group would say, yeah, here, I believe God is over this, and I believe he's already in tomorrow because he is outside of time. But the question I would ask you, is it possible if God is so big that he could not only be in tomorrow, that he could be in trillions and zillions of tomorrows? And they are yet unwritten because you and I are helping him write the script, but he's already got the final chapter written. Now, so here's, here's what I would tell you. <clears throat> I don't know how it works. I don't know how it works. You, you don't know, but here's what I do know. My choices matter, and what I decide about my place in it, here's what I know, that God's will will be done, but I get to decide if his will's done in my life. That he is in control of it all, but I get to decide if he's in control of my life, and I'm gonna stand account for him. Hebrews 4 says it this way. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. He sees it all. He's over it all. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You see, it's not all God's fault. It's not all God's will. I have a choice, and one day I'm going to stand before him, and I'm going to have to give an account. And so are you. But here's the thing that gets me. So are my neighbors, and so are your neighbors. And I believe that their choices matter. And I believe that my choice about what to do about them matters. And I believe that at the end of it all, there's a group with God and a group that's not. And I think the invitations to the party are still open. 
And I don't know where I'm at on the time. I don't know if I'm here or here or here. I don't know where I'm at. But all I know that at one point in the story, there was a big cross. And I'm going to invite everybody in my time back to that cross to get them to the party where God is at the end. And we're going to invite all we can to follow Jesus. If you're here today and you never made that choice, you get to make that choice for you. And just like Joshua said, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. You get to decide for you, for you and your house, for you, who will you serve? Heavenly Father. Man, this is complex stuff, God. But I know that I will give an account before you and everyone in this room will give an account before you. And for me, I want to choose Jesus. And I want to be a part of your work to redeem this world. You came to give your life as a ransom for all people in my neighborhood, at my work, on my kids' ball team, in traffic, at the restaurant, the barista, at the coffee shop I go to every morning. You gave your life for all of them, Lord. And Lord, help me, help us to be a part of the story, to invite them to the final chapter with you. We're a messed up bunch, God, and we don't have it all figured out, but you sent your son to die for us anyway. And Lord, what we don't understand, we trust to you. Help us to impact, to live in faith what we do understand. In Jesus' name, amen.